anybody noticed that Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who's from Hudson, is spending all his time in the southern part of the state trying to get people to pass issue one? I wonder why he's not spending time up here. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, Laura Johnston. We got a pretty good Tuesday podcast, so let's get to it. With Ohio Governor Mike DeWine saying he is the children's governor, that his single-minded purpose is helping the state's children, how come the state rates last in subsidizing child care? This was an eye-opening story, Laura. Yes, and it's from Zachary Smith as part of our Rethinking Child Care series. And Mike DeWine wanted to raise the threshold for subsidizing child care to 160% of the poverty line. But instead, we just raised it thanks to the state legislature that has to pass the government, govern, sorry, has to pass the budget from 142% to 145%. So three measly points. And that puts us at the dead last of all of the states in the country for providing child care subsidies for kids zero to five. North Carolina technically has a lower threshold, but it's double the poverty level for kids zero to five. So if you were older than five, you'd be a little bit better off in North Carolina. So under this this change, the income cutoffs in Ohio are $28,000, $594 for a two-person household up to $50,000 for a five-person household. And basically, you have to make under that in order to get any help to send your kids to a child care center so that you can go to work. I, I just don't get this because as your series that you've been been managing has shown, this is a sum positive for everybody that, that if the state subsidizes it, they'll get more money back because of all the people who are working that it makes for better educated children. I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. And if you are the governor saying, I want to do this, what's the impediment? And we know what the impediment is. He has a name. What is it, Laura? Matt Huffman. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Huffman does not believe in quality childcare. He's tried to cut it in the past. And I mean, this isn't, the way Ohio's always been. I don't know that we've ever been a champion of kids, but in the beginning of the 2000s, eligibility was up to 185%. So we've been continually cutting. And when let, let me put it in perspective. It's not just like these other states are a little bit better than Ohio. Other states are at 350% of the poverty line in Vermont, which you're like, okay, that's Vermont. South Carolina, though, 300%. New York, 300%. Alaska, 311%. North Dakota, 307%. So this these states care about their kids and they want to make sure that kids from birth basically are being cared for and that their parents have the ability to go work and jobs. And we talk all the time about how we want to, we want more people to work. And instead of just letting 14 and 15 year olds work till 9 PM, how about you let people who have kids go work if they have subsidized childcare? So I, I really, I don't understand what the issue is here, but other states are handling it a lot better. I know, we're behind states like Mississippi and Tennessee, for crying out loud. I, I This is another example, though, of what is screwed up about Ohio. Matt Huffman is not elected statewide. He's elected from some tiny district. No, Nobody in the rest of the state has a say on him being the Senate president. And he wields all this power. And because he personally has it in for child care, it's not happening. That's a backwards way of doing things. This guy should not have that level of power. But of course, he's supported by all the people that were elected in gerrymandered districts. So they're not representing the center of Ohio. 
It's it's right. just sad because it dooms the future. If you're hammering away at the education of children and supporting it, you build for the future. And if you don't, you don't compete. You would hope that all of these, you know, pro-life, anti-abortion, very powerful people would care. I, I just, I, and it's an old saying, right? Like Republicans care about babies before they're born, but after they're born, they don't. I, I mean, these are the same babies we're fighting to save and like take care of them once they arrive. Yeah. It's a remarkable, it's remarkable to be in last place. I mean, that's just not where you want to be. If you claim to care about your children, you're listening to today in Ohio. We've been saying for months that we would pull out all of the stops and making sure Ohioans know about issue one and the special election on August 8th. The legislators that put this on the ballot were hoping no one would vote because that's what happens normally in August. Now we're taking to Reddit. Layla, what's that about? This is a very cool idea. At noon on Thursday, reporter Andrew Tobias will answer questions about state issue one and the August special election during a Reddit Ask Me Anything session on the Ohio subreddit, which is r slash Ohio. If you've been following issue one at all, you've been reading Andrew's excellent coverage because he has been prolific and thorough in his work. He's covered both the impact of it and the politics behind it. He's done a real service to voters. And now he's going to bring all of that expertise to Reddit in these last days before August 8th. And Frankly, I, I've actually seen Reddit posts where some folks who probably haven't seen Andrew's coverage were confused about issue one and they were asking other Reddit users. So so I want to you know, vote to support the right for citizens to amend the Constitution. Does that mean I should vote yes? And that's the kind of confusion that issue one backers, I think, are banking on. So, you know, to be clear, issue one is is seeking to diminish the power of Ohio voters by requiring a 60 percent voter threshold to amend the state constitution rather than the simple majority standard that exists now. And it also set a bunch of rules around gathering signatures on petitions that would make it nearly impossible to get an issue on the ballot at all. And it's all an effort to make sure that the veto proof supermajority that gerrymandering gave us in the state house never loses power, even to the citizens they represent. So, so join this discussion on Reddit on Thursday. It's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, we've said it before, but there is not a single legitimate argument for voting for this if you're right. a voter. Right, right, There's, right. It, it, it's all nonsense when they talk about the federal constitution. It's all nonsense. If you read Andrew's coverage, you can see what the truth is. And anybody reading that would come to the conclusion that this is terrible. What I love about Ask Me Anything, I'm a big fan of Reddit. And, and what's beautiful about that is... That you ignore the trolls, you know, people who ask legitimate questions, you get the answers and the people that are lobbing nonsense from the cheap seats, which there always is, you just get past them because right. this is a, a, a good conversation filled with, with quality stuff. And then it stays there. So anybody who's looking for information later can come back to it and read through it. Andrew owns this issue. He is, I think, the state's best source on it. So he'll be able to help people cut through it. And, he, you know, he's been straight down the middle. I want to say uh, on the opinion side of our operation, we've been blasting away at this. It's a terrible idea. Andrew's a news reporter. He has covered this straight down the middle, um, accurate, fair, balanced reporting. And that's what he'll bring to the Ask Me Anything. Yes. Check it out. If you can't visit him and ask a question, you can read it later. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
We seem incapable as a nation to take needed steps to reduce climate change, but Senator Sherrod Brown has some ideas about what the federal government can do to cope with the results. What's his latest proposal coming in a summer when the earth has endured its hottest day? Lisa. Yeah, Senator Brown is uh, asking for new federal standards that would protect vulnerable workers from heat exhaustion and stroke, and he wants them as soon as possible, as we've seen these blistering temperatures in the Southwest and other areas where workers, outside workers, are suffering. So he and a hundred other senators and representatives sent a letter to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and the Acting Labor Secretary, Julie Sue, and they're asking for a few specifics. They said the the government should require employers to give adequate hydration and rest breaks in either shaded or air-conditioned areas and have plans in place that would handle heat-related illnesses, such as providing medical services and training and, and recognizing the symptoms of heat illnesses and treating them. So OSHA, in response, said, well, you know, states like Washington, Minnesota, and California have state laws that govern occupational heat exposure, but the letter cited a new Texas law that rescinds local ordinances in Austin and Dallas that would have protected workers from heat illnesses. So there goes local control in Texas. Uh, Brown is also reintroducing his Asuncion Valdivia Heat Illness and Fatality Protection Act. It's named for a California worker who died in 2004 picking grapes for 10 hours in 105 degree heat. And he, you know, this bill would establish federal standards for heat, you know, people who work in heat occupations. I feel like we've entered one of those 1960s, 1970s science fiction movies that look ahead to the future and see the damage we've done to the planet that stops us from being able to go outside without protection. I mean, this is the result of our activity. We're having Mm -hmm. heat that is undeniably the, the result of human intervention in the planet. And this deals with the symptoms, not the cause. Right. And you have people think of roofers, day laborers, landscapers, I mean, construction workers. There are so many people that are now out and vulnerable to these illnesses. And unfortunately, some of their supervisors just say, hey, just muscle on through it and you'll be fine. But that's not how it works out. No, when people are dying because of it. It's a, it's a frightening time. You're listening to Today in Ohio. So many times over the years, Ohio officials have talked big but gone small in legitimate efforts to reduce algae blooms in Lake Erie. What does the Environmental Law and Policy Center say about the state EPA's latest plan written under duress to comply with the federal judge's order to get this mess cleaned up? Laura, not good. Not good. That This is woefully inadequate. And the plan relies on the same stuff the state's been doing for years, you know, where they're basically paying farmers to put less fertilizer on their fields and to add things that catch it all before it runs into the mommy river because the fertilizer, the phosphates in it is what causes the harmful algal blooms every year in Lake Erie between the algal blooms and the rain because the rain washes all this fertilizer off. But it's not just the fertilizer. It's also manure. It's from the confined animal feeding operations that are not really regulated in Ohio. And that's what the Environmental Law and Policy Center wants to talk about. So what the, the state was forced to do is come up to what's called with a TMDL, a total maximum daily load for what the phosphorus that can go in. But they're looking at the total load and not this dissolved phosphorus, the stuff that's in the manure, the stuff that's 
you know, actually worse for the environment. So they want more focus on this. And they want to look at those confined feeding operations, which really are just, (laughs) most farmers would not put more fertilizer on their fields than they need, right? Because they have to pay for it. The problem with the feeding operations is they got all this poop and they got nowhere to put it. Yeah, Ohio just refuses to take the steps needed to clean this up. I mean, it's been clear since the beginning what causes this. And Ohio just won't do it. So now they're in court. I mean, they've been placed into a consent decree to get it done. And they come up with a feeble plan that will not clean up the problem. And so it's just lip service. There's nobody in state government, I think, that is serious about clearing up the problem in Lake Erie. Well, and I think the farm lobby is really powerful. And I think we as a country identify farmers as this like hardworking, independent, like good old Americans. And I get that, but that doesn't mean it's not causing a problem. And the confined feeding operation, so you have to have more than 700 dairy cows or 10,000 swine under 55 pounds in order to be required to register with the Ohio Department of Agriculture. So you could have 9,999 swine and have no overseeing. And that poop, it has to go somewhere, right? So if we we have all of this in our cities and we have wastewater treatment plants before that's allowed to go back into Lake Erie, this stuff gets spread sometimes on frozen ground all over the land and it's excess. It just runs off and it runs right into the Maumee River and that runs right into the lake and that's what causes this. And so you've got to think, you have to start regulating. In 2016, we promised Ontario and Michigan we were going to reduce by 40% from 2008 levels and that was going to be by 2025. That is two years away and we are nowhere near meeting yeah, it just, these it, goals. We don't have the bold leadership in the state. I, I mentioned Elisa before the podcast that New Yorker, the latest issue, has a profile on Gretchen Whitmer and how she mm. rose. And it's bold leadership. She she was pushing an anti-bullying measure that the Catholic Church lobbied on. They wanted an exemption. And she went on to the floor of the Michigan legislature and body slammed the guy that was in her way and got it through. We don't have it. We just I, I read the story with jealousy because we just don't have somebody to stand up and call out the farmers for what they're doing. The farmers are poisoning Lake Erie, our most important natural asset, the the big, which where we get our drinking water. And yet no one in Ohio, not John Houston, not Mike DeWine, none of the people in the legislature will say this is going to end farmers. We've got to come up with the solution. So they just right. kneel and, and mouth you- their way around it. And I get why the farmers do it, right? Because they're trying to produce meat cheaply because we as consumers want the best price on everything. We want really cheap meat. You want really cheap meat, you're going to put nine, you know, 10,000 swine in one building and like feed them and then kill them. I, right? Like if you were a vegan, you are much, much better for the environment than meat eaters among us. So I think we need to think about us as a society. This it, We just talked about the heat problem, right? Climate change is real. If we really want... To solve all of these problems, we need to look at ourselves, all of us, and and look where our actions, you know, lo- long down the line have contributed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The profiteers were in the news a while back, jacking up the price of insulin. 
Layla, does Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb have a legitimate case to make against them in court? Yeah, they believe they do. On on Monday, Cleveland joined other cities and counties in filing a lawsuit against these guys for price gouging. Law Director Mark Griffin and, and several private attorneys filed the lawsuit in federal court in Cleveland against manufacturers like Eli Lilly and Company and pharmacy giants like CVS and, and major pharmacy benefit managers like Evernorth Health. Uh, which was formerly Express Scripts. This lawsuit accuses the companies, which make 92% of the insulin on the market, of using their outsized market share to dramatically increase prices at the expense of the city, which spent about $2 million paying for insulin for its employees from, from 2017 to 2019. And the city argues that diabetics need insulin to stay alive and that these companies really exploit that fact. Uh, by forcing insurers like the city of Cleveland to pay exorbitant prices for the products for their employees. And the city wants an injunction against the companies, a declaration that the businesses violated Ohio law against deceptive practices and a determination that the companies violated federal civil conspiracy laws. The manufacturers say the lawsuit is meritless and they've recently made their insulin more affordable and capped the out-of-pocket expense. And CVS, for its part, says prices are set by the manufacturers, not the pharmacies. So they should have nothing to do with this, in their opinion. <laughs> Let's face it. The only reason they capped their prices is because Joe Biden came after them. They didn't do it out of right. the goodness of their heart. This was pure profiteering, taking advantage of people who, I mean, th there was one of the lawyers in the story Too had well. to give up her private practice because oh, yeah. her kid has diabetes and she couldn't afford the insulin. That's what these folks did. And it should have been regulated. I hope the lawsuit's successful because I think it was unconscionable what they did. Right, right. There was another, one of the other uh, lead attorneys on the case uh, said that she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 1979 at the age of seven. And before she was hired by the city, she needed to use high interest credit cards just to buy her insulin. And that is, uh, I mean, that's very eye-opening. It's, it's a terrible, terrible predicament. Brilliant move by the mayor to use two lawyers who have personal stories right. to tell about this. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With a pitch clock shortening baseball games considerably this season, have the Guardians seen their concession sales drop? Because fans are in the ballpark for shorter periods. Lisa, we took a look. Yeah, and actually concession sales at Progressive Field have stayed steady, even though Major League Baseball games are about a half hour shorter because of the new rules and the pitch clock. And fans are actually spending 3 to 4% more on concessions. Uh, the Senior Vice President of Ballpark Services, Kurt Schloss, says attendance is up and fewer people are leaving early. And so, you know, they're doing their part to make sure that everyone gets through the concession lines quickly for the best ballpark experience. They they have a couple of high-tech checkout options, including MashGen self-check and this one with AI-assisted where you scan your card and grab and go and 18 cameras watch what you do and then charge you for it. Akron Rubber Ducks GM Jim Fander says fans are eating faster, and he said people are showing up to games earlier and buying their food earlier. Instead of waiting until, you know, into the game, they're buying it before the game or in the early innings. And he said even though the Rubber Ducks kept their seventh-inning alcohol cutoff in play, beer sales did not increase at all. So does this I mean say, decrease. Does this say that 
part of the baseball game experience is the eating that that people are not going to let it go they're going to get their fill absolutely i mean to me the thing about going to a game was getting that hot dog you know and then having you know a, a drink afterwards so yeah and and the peanuts can't forget the peanuts peanuts and cracker jack from the great song doesn't it always seem absurd to you that you go to a sporting event and you're watching people work out while you stuff junk food in your face? <laughs> Indeed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why are taxpayers footing the bill for Cuyahoga County Chief of Staff Eric Wobser to attend a tourism economic development conference in New Orleans? Won't that be more fitting for his new job in Sandusky? Layla, what's going on? <laughs> you nailed it, Chris. Eric Wobser, he's just days away from leaving his position as Chief of Staff for County Executive Chris Renade and going back to his hometown of Sandusky, where he's going to head up the Greater Sandusky Partnership as its CEO. That's an organization that focuses on, on growing that county's population and investment in the region. But in June, after Eric Wobser had, had announced that he would be leaving, he went on a Cuyahoga County taxpayer-funded trip to an economic development conference in New Orleans. That event's website describes it as a forum for cities, nations, and places to collaborate and share best practice on place branding and place marketing strategies to generate sustainable tourism and economic development, improve the quality of life for citizens, blah, blah, blah. That's pretty much what his focus will be in his new job. And he was the only county representative at this conference. Not even the county's economic development director went. The, the Board of Control approved a little more than $2,000 for his trip. It, so not a lot. But still, you know, a county spokeswoman told Caitlin Durbin that the actual cost was 1400 and change and, and that Wolbser paid for his own flight. But why do this? <laughs> why are you doing this, Eric? What's sad is that he was leaving this job almost a hero. Yeah, right? I, know. I mean, he's he's very well regarded. He's leaving because his family didn't want to leave Sandusky, and he's putting his family ahead of his job. Everybody salutes him, and for a paltry fourteen hundred dollars, he's marring his reputation. And and he, it, we shouldn't have paid for it. It's this is for his future job. He should either pay for it himself or get his future employer to pay for it. I don't get it. It's just it's one of those you just sit back and think. It's not worth it. It's, it's not, not worth the money to be talked about in this light as you're walking out the door. I know. And the, the county spokeswoman defended the decision to pay for the trip by saying that Eric Wobser is still a part of Ronane's team and that there's still value in him attending this. She didn't expound upon that. And I, you know, probably better that she didn't because she was just <laughs> taking that that hole. <laughs> The other thing was Wobster saying, you know, New Orleans has done a great job preserving its jazz history. Like, that's what the enlightening fact he got out of it. It's like, <laughs> no kidding, Sherlock, you think? Yeah, it's just one of those, you no, know, hey, New Orleans, they, you know, that's where jazz is played. Oh, who knew? <laughs> it's a sad one. I, I don't get the, the logic of things like this. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Here's a new one. What's the thinking by a Bedford Heights police canine officer who is suing the department for overtime? Is his next step seeking salary for his dog? Lisa. 
Bedford Heights canine officer Ryan Catesel filed a federal lawsuit seeking overtime pay for his 24-7 care of the police dog. He's been a canine officer in Bedford Heights since 2018 and an officer since 2011. He is required by Bedford Heights to keep the dog in good health, but Catesel says he wasn't paid for that. He said he told officials three years ago that it was more than 40 hours a week, you know, including things like feeding, walking, vet visits, training, and grooming, and he says the city didn't make or preserve records of this off-duty work. His attorney, Sharon Dreyer, says that Bedford Heights is violating the Fair Labor Standards Act, which mandates that employers pay overtime, but there is legal precedent for this. There was a 2021 lawsuit filed by three East St. Louis police officers who handled dogs. They were awarded over $158,000 in back pay uh, and, and to the three officers and 16 others. Yeah, the, the canine, though, has always struck me as a hybrid. That it's, it's your companion dog. It's, you know, we, for many of us who have dogs, they're a great part of our lives. And yeah, you got to feed them, you got to walk them, you got to take them to the vet. And I've, I think people have always looked at this as it's, it's not just your partner at work, it's your home companion. And there's kind of a division here. I, I, the idea that you should be paid for 24-hour care of your, of your partner, that's kind of mind-boggling. I, I think police departments would get rid of canine units if that became the, the way you had to pay for them. But it's not his dog. It's, the, it's Bedford Heights' dog. He's just the caregiver for that dog. Yeah, but he he volunteers to be the canine officer, and I uh, that's one where you're kind of agreeing. Okay, I take over the care and feeding of the dog. I'm sure they provide the money for the food, and I, they've got to pay for the vet visits. I just it's look how many for how long have we had canine units, and this just has not come up. The canine officers love their dogs, and often when they retire, the the officers get to to take the dog. I just, this this one is, it's interesting. And like you said, there's a precedent, so he could get paid for it. But I wonder if the way cities deal with this is to kind of negotiate into the contract that if you're a canine officer, part of the job is taking care of the dog. Interesting lawsuit. We'll see how it comes out. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Laura, lots of people think they're the big cheese, but Candace Marchant actually is. What did the owner of a Cleveland Heights cheese shop win at the Ohio State Fair? She won three first place and a third place aware award in the 2023 State Fair Cheese Contest. Only one other Ohio cheesemaker matched this success with three first places. That was Pearl Valley Cheese of Fresno, Ohio. I got to say, Paris Wolf does a great job explaining these cheeses. I am not a cheese connoisseur. Like, I like cheese, but I don't know the different kinds of cheese. So she won first place in the bacteria ripened class with her Applejack washed. It was a triple cream cheese made with Guernsey cow milk washed with local Applejack brine bath for a month. I mean, that sounds like a lot of work, So, but also really good cheese. Uh, she won first place in the open class for other milk for goat cheese. And first place, and doesn't this make you want to go eat some right now? Surface mold bloomy class. And that was for her um, bloomy rind cheese. It's comparable to a camembert. 
I, I, I know when you think of gourmet cheese, you automatically think of Cleveland Heights, right? I mean, it's just <laughs> the center of the cheese world. I got to go visit this shop. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it's not that far from where I live and I haven't been in there. This is very cool. It's a cool honor. They don't make the cool. cheese in the shop though, right? She has a farm. I, I'm not exactly sure. Probably not. I don't know where it all, where all the work gets done. I mean, you got to have your local, your local Applejack brine bath there for a month. So you got to have some space to make cheese. <laughs> well, uh, just a reminder too, guys, that, that the state fair starts this week and Jeremy Pelzer is covering the butter cow today. We don't know what the other butter statue is going to be. So that's a big reveal coming. I do yeah. want to say that Ohio is a really great cheese state. I it mean, is? you know, I think so. I mean, compared to Texas, you know, where I was. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you've got the Amish. You can go buy it direct from the, you know, from the factory in Middlefield. You've got all these small artisan cheese makers. I, I think there's a lot of good Plus, cheese around. Grandpa's Cheese Barn. All oh, the way that's to right. In Ashland. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I think it's cool that she won. It's a, I mean, that shop opened, I don't know, a few years back, and it's that's a that's a hell of a thing for her to take it home. I'd certainly rather win the cheese awards than the butter cow awards if there is a butter cow award. <laughs> I don't think there is a butter cow award. It's just a really big deal to what they're going to carve out of butter every year. Yeah, really big deal. I I know I can't sleep at night waiting to find out what that reveal is. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. We'll give you a couple of minutes back. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens.